Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that asks the title of question, Netflix vs. Cinema, which one should we go to? And we do this in the week in which there has been a little bit of controversy with a very well-known legendary even filmmaker who has waded into the whole thing saying that he is going to have a word with the Academy about getting rid of, pretty much getting rid of Netflix at the Academy Awards. This is in the wake of Roma being the favorite for the Best Picture winner, which it didn't win, and also of Roma winning Best Director and Best, um, best no, yeah, Best Director and Best Screen, no, Best Cinematography, I think it was. Anyway, before we go any further, I'm gonna stop being rude and I'm going to actually introduce myself. My name is Tozin, and I am based in Coventry in the Midlands. And with me, joining me to wade through these things are Sharon. Hello. And Sean on the Isle of Wight. Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> okay, cool. Right, we don't have that much time today or this week, so we're just gonna we're gonna try and crack on with it and just go jump into it. So, did you guys hear about this from Steven Spielberg? Who is the legendary yes, filmmaker we're I talking did. about? Yeah. Was it was it you who sent the link? Yeah, I sent the, no, I sent the link. Tozen. No, it was Tozen. Yes, yeah. I sent the link to you. I haven't really you. had a chance to look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was aware of it, but I can understand the point because often these these Netflix films are only available on this platform, so they aren't widely available to the cinema going public in the same way that film is. Mm. You know, and you think if it's going to be nominated for these awards, then as many people as possible should have the opportunity to see it. I, I, and if it's only on limited release, like two cinemas in you know West End, then. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they should be a, be a better qualifier, shouldn't they, for the awards? That's right. It's we've had a bit of a role reversal this week, haven't we, Sharon? Because <laughs> yeah. Sharon's seen loads of movies. I've been to cinema a lot. Yeah, it's a cinema a lot, and and I've not been quite so much, but I have spent time on Netflix. But it has been more for documentaries, yeah. and I've been watching than it has for actual films and things. Yeah. So it's good. It's got me interested, and you know, I've, I've so I've been watching actually. I watched an interesting one on tanks, which was which was. Which was was great because it was a bit revisionist, and it was saying that the poles actually had good tanks, but because the Russians, as all, so yeah, I watched the thing on tanks, and I watched the thing on, on like Einstein's group and 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 so it's been quite good. So I've it's a the, resource, yeah. Yeah, it's a resource. There's a lot but, there. I, I admit, and there's so much on there. There is so much on there, but I still think the cinema. For me, I was thinking I felt a bit bad that I didn't go to the cinema, <laughs> but that was just. That's it's a massive yeah. experience. You yeah, can't I mean, really I, I, I did go to see Alien, the special edition. They re-released yeah, Alien, but we've spoken about that on, on lots of occasions. So, just to say, it's a, it's, a, it's a great movie. So, I did see that, and I did see a. I don't know what sort of film you can call it. I did see um, Happy Death Day too, but that's been on a while, isn't it? So, Happy, I mean, Happy Death Day to so, you. Happy Death Day to you. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I mean, I did, I, I did see that, but that was purely because a mate wanted to see it, and it's a mate that I don't see very often <laughs> yeah. now, so we went to see it. <laughs> but it was so good. I went with another friend, John. It was so bad that, and there was no one else in there, so it was a heckling day, and <laughs> made, the film, the film was absolutely awful. The film was one that it was pants, r waste of time. But, okay. But it made is... it fun because we could heckle it. <laughs> but, but Sean, you you saw the original Happy Death Day, didn't you? I did, yeah. But I, th I thought you quite um, liked I that mean, one. I sort of, I, I, I wasn't overly keen on it. I think I gave it a two when we went to see it, to see it last time. But um, it's, it, you know, it's not really my type of film. And the only reason I went was because, uh, you know, as a friend, I thought I'd go under sufferance. But the, the heckling <laughs> made it quite good fun. So, so yeah. So, but that's anyway. I'm not going to talk about that one. <laughs> okay, but but okay, quickly. Well, you just kind of did. So, what would you give Happy Death oh, Day wait. to you? <laughs> One <laughs> as a film, but I enjoyed it as an enjoyable experience. So I would give it because of how nice it was. I would pals. give it a night out with me pals. I'd give it a four. A four for, 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 for a film to watch. A one. But if but for if me, you if me. you want so you're saying if you want to go heckle with your friends, go watch it. But if you if you yeah, just want to watch a film. Yeah, oh. that's exactly right. You nailed it, Toes. You nailed it. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I, I know. I know that sort of films. I know what you're talking about. I think mine for what the best of the best three. Best of the best three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's like a it's a brilliant heckle with your friends movie. It's a terrible film, but <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> okay, but so just a quick thing because I don't want I don't want to just run off from Mr. Spielberg just quite yet, and um so because but Sharon, what you were saying about it being a wide release, I think that isn't the isn't it the fact that Netflix actually gives films a wider release than cinema can can. I suppose you've got the captive. It's that that captive audience, isn't it? It's got a platform of potentially hundreds of millions of viewers. Mm -hmm. But I think to qualify for uh, an award thing, I think it should need to be available to the general populace through cinemas, personally. Because yeah. yeah. to me, it's like the direct-to-video thing. I think in years gone by, if it was a release that went direct-to-video, it wouldn't even qualify as a for the awards. And there were some cracking films that did get released straight to video. Yeah, there was. The day. But I think, to me, it's the same sort of thing. It's, it should be in the same sort of category as, as back in those days where things didn't get a cinema release, so they didn't get a nod for, for awards, but, even though they are good films, admittedly. Okay, but okay, the thing that I get nowadays is because nowadays we have things like Game of Thrones. And I remember in the last season of Game of Thrones, Sean, you came back after watching the Battle of the Bastards and you were like, this yeah. is the best battle I have ever seen, full stop. Whether it's, whether it's it, TV, yeah. whether it's film, it is the best battle I have seen, yeah. hands down. And I'm like, I agree. and uh, so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, so just because that wasn't released in cinemas, you shouldn't be able to talk about that in the same breath as something like Gladiator. That doesn't seem quite right it, to me anyway. I'm like, it's it, because Game of Thrones, you look at that, People use the term cinematic, and it's a bit of a weird term because people know nobody really knows what it means. But but essentially, that's got, that's, yeah, Carrie, it has a wide audience. That though, yeah. doesn't it? As a as a, I mean, that's a worldwide audience HBO, as well. Yeah. HBO, yeah, yeah, it has, it has. Yeah, I just I just think where do you draw the line? You have to have boundaries, and I think sometimes they can be uncomfortable ones. But I think sometimes you need to better distinguish between. Yeah, I, I, what qualifies but, for awards and what doesn't? Yeah, but that's the thing. I, I think that it's getting to the point where the line is totally disappearing, because yeah, I, yeah, because it's harder to see it certainly. Yeah, because I know I know the the when this happened. Um, okay, so you had a couple of people who sort of waded into the in, into the discussion after Spielberg said, "I'm going to go have a word with the Academy," and he, pretty much it was what he said was interpreted as. I don't want things like Netflix movies to be at the Academy Awards anymore. And obviously, because it's Spielberg, people are going to listen to what he says. And um, Ava DuVernay, who directed Selma, she wrote, this is the Board of Governors meeting and regular branch members can be there. But I hope that if this is true, that you have filmmakers in the room who, or read statements from directors like me who feel differently. Because she says, one of the things I value about Netflix is that it distributes, from, well, she says, black work far and wide. And 190 countries, they'll get her latest thing in it. There's a, there's a promo for South Africa. She says she has, she has had just one film distributed wide internationally. It was not Selma. It was not A Wrinkle in Time. It was 13th, which was made by Netflix. And that matters. So she's saying she's, done all, she's made this film, put all this work in, but more people are going to see the stuff that she's done with Netflix than are going to see the stuff that she's done in cinemas. And okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's because I was thinking, I was worried that it might be a stifling for those independent filmmakers who who don't have the backing of someone like Netflix. And you think, well, where do they go? And they want to be, you know, recognised for their work if they're not backed by one of these behemoth companies. You know, do they still get a a chance? Whereas if they, even if it's a small film, if it gets a wide cinema release, then they can be in the running, like something like Leave No Trace. We saw, we yeah, Leave No Trace, Trace. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You know, would that even be a film that would get that sort of backing from a company like Netflix, or would it have to go down the indie route and through the film festivals? And that's where it sort of generates the buzz, even though not many people saw it. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, with, with the cinema, I mean, you've got like the Cannes Film Festival, you've got the Sundance Festival, you've got all those. And that is a good platform for, for, for seeing movies. And because, and, I mean, there's, there's many films like that that I've watched and really enjoyed. I mean, American Honey, yep. you know what I mean? Um, Florida Project. I probably wouldn't have even worried about seeing them if they, and if they hadn't been sort of won the prizes, then I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have seen them on Netflix because they probably would have passed me by. So, I mean, I do think Sharon's got a really, really good both, point. Yeah, I yeah there's see arguments. The arguments on both sides because, you know, I am. I have got this subscription to Netflix, so I am, you know, <laughs> buying into that 
being a part of that core audience who has been exposed to films that I, yeah. but if they don't get released on the Isle of Wight or if they, you know, now that it's almost impossible to rent videos, yeah. to rent DVDs uh, in, in the old fashioned mm. way. I mean, our library still does them, but if you want to just borrow a film without... Yeah. For me, for me... For arm and a leg. It's that's difficult. it. For me, from, from a personal point of view at the moment, is I seem to be watching more... I'm not really watching films on Netflix. I seem to be watching more of the... the the docu documentaries and things yeah. like that, which I could probably see on YouTube. So I think you know, I'm it thinking, just happens to be yeah. there's a lot on the television for me to watch. So yeah. I'm watching the things I record off the television, yeah. and then Netflix is it's when I've got nothing yeah. else to watch. So <laughs> at the moment, my evenings are filled with yeah. Great British Sewing Bee, Hello. <laughs> Hello. And, and Sky Artist Portrait Artist of the Year. You know, those things cannot be postponed for a, a, an extra day. Yeah. They have to be watched. <laughs> so um, my Netflix viewing has sort of gone down to the bottom I of must the, say, of I've, the I've, list. I've sort of slackened off a bit on the Netflix thing you know I mean <laughs> I, I had that month's free subscription and I, I, I thought I'd have one more month, month. Yeah. yeah and now it's it's sort of you know it's I must admit myself I've been you know, I guess, I guess the problem is in and out I guess the problem is there's just too many, there's just, just too much stuff. There's too much stuff. Yes, yes. too okay. much stuff. All right, cool. Uh, so this is about, I think this is going to be a debate that will carry on. Yeah. It, it, will, it will carry on. It will carry on. Filmmakers and, yeah. Quite frankly, I feel, I think like there's usually, nowadays, at the same way there's like a Netflix premiere every week, there's a new Netflix versus cinema story every week. <laughs> but I will, I will, I'll give the final word on this to the response that Netflix said to this, where people were talking about it, it's like, you know, their films aren't really films. And he, they say, they put out a tweet saying, we love cinema. Here are some things we also love. Number one, access for people who can't always afford or live in towns without theatres. Number two, letting everyone everywhere enjoy releases at the same time. Number three, giving filmmakers more way to share art. These things are not mutually exclusive. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I so I look at it and I have to say, oh, this is one thing I look at and I feel like, or I don't really see why just because something is in a cinema, in a theater, it should qualify for awards. But even though somebody has put in the same amount of work and the same amount of craft and the same amount of like, you know, expertise into something, just because it's mostly shown on a streaming service, it shouldn't be, it should, that, that work should not be recognized. I just don't see why. But it's, it, it's, as we said, it will run and run. But now let's go on to one of the things that um, Steven Spielberg would probably would rather have had was not at the, at, the, at the Academy Awards. And it's a film called Period, End of Sentence. And this is a film that, was, that won the, best, the award for best documentary short subject at the Academy Awards. And I saw this earlier today. It's actually, you guys can find it on Netflix. I think today we're going to go Netflix first, then cinema, then Netflix, then cinema. And it's um so we saw this on Netflix and it's it's only about half an hour long, so uh, but it's great because it's about all these women in India. I think it's an area of India called Jadpur near Delhi, from the way they speak about. And it's yeah. and as the 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 title of the film is a pun when they say period end of sentence because they're talking about periods, and the film kicks mm. off yeah it kicks off with this really really great sequence and well, just one thing I have to say. I would not recommend eating, watching this film while you're eating your lunch, which is what I did. I, edited, I, was, watching, <laughs> I was watching the film through my lunch break. And, and there was a bit where I was like, oh, good Lord, maybe I shouldn't be eating right now. And I was thinking, well, well maybe this is part of the problem they're talking about. Why is this such a taboo? And it's the fact that you have this sequence where they're asking a whole bunch of women about this and they can't even say the word, period. Like, they all just sort of like... Essentially, okay, they're all Indian, so they, so they don't blush. They all speak euphemistically, yeah. Yeah, but they, they, they were, they, they, well, they don't blush. But if they, if they were lighter skinned, they would have been totally, they would have been blushing all over the shop because they just, <laughs> they couldn't say the word. And as it goes on, you find out how this has become such a thing where a lot of women don't have access to like pads. So they, they talk about the way they've gone about it, how they get ostracized from society, how they say you can't even go into the temple when uh, at that time of the month, you can't do anything like that. But there's a guy who figured out a way of making a low cost pad. He comes over to their place and he shows them that this is how you go about doing it. This is how you make a pad and he gives them a machine that can make pads. And they, and so it, it pretty much starts a whole industry off in this, in this area where all these women come together and start making low cost pads 
and it's given them a freedom of life. It's given them an ability to actually, like one of them is talking about her dreams, that from the money she's going to do with this, she's going to go train to go to police college because no woman that she knows has been to police college. And, and it just becomes this whole other thing that uh, and I think it's just such, it's a nice small little story. It's touching, it's showing I mean, the bit, the, the, there's the sequence in the film where the women start making the pads for the first time. And it's one of the most, it's just one of the most euphoric things I think I've seen. Where I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, they're getting a chance to do something for themselves. They're going out there. Yeah. They're not having a handout. They're actually setting up a thing. It's changing their entire neighborhood. I just, <clears throat> I absolutely loved it. Especially because I've just made, well, I'm currently working on a documentary, um, a documentary uh, series um, which is along the lines of something similar about children in Nigeria getting given free heart surgery. And I was just uh, I was watching going, oh yeah, this is along the same lines as trying to help a group of people look after themselves, trying to train them up so that they can, they don't have to rely on hands out, handouts. They can, mm. they can have more options than trying to find a man to marry who will then pretty much sort of like run their lives. And, it's, and, I, and I think the, the, the film is really good because it doesn't just sort of go, yeah, woman, 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 and forget about the men. They even have bits where they're asking men about, oh, what do you think a period is? And some of the, re some of the responses are hilarious, scary, and kind of heartbreaking at the same time. <laughs> that, 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 that some of the men are just so ignorant as to exactly what this is going on. Is that they think, they were like, one of them is like, oh, I think that's an illness. I think it's an illness. Yeah, but I think only women get it. So it's, if you have period, end of sentence, if you have half an hour, I would recommend going to go watch that and I would give it a four out of five. Wow. Cool. Cool, yeah. sounds like an interesting topic. But again, it's a subject I think most, well, I think nearly every man I've ever met was, was shy <laughs> away from thinking, hey, I'm no, not going there. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, yeah, how it can um, really affect women. I think I've been involved in charities before where I think there's one called Pants for Africa, which is about, Sort of providing underwear and sanitary products for for women in difficult situations and there's a it used to be a thing called boost drive dignity bags for women in um, syrian refugee camps and displaced people a dignity bags are basically providing like sanitary products for women who have only the clothes they stand up in mm. and it's one of those things i think a lot of women it resonates with women thinking you know how on earth would you cope if you didn't have access to you know hygiene and you know all the things that a western woman has got you know that's it. access to it's, it's, it's quite strange we should, we should be talking about this because was it it was yesterday i delivered to all the different schools i, I we had loads of packets of sanitary towels yeah. which were i, I guess are going to give them out with the schools so, you know you are, there's like, the thing isn't there yeah. about, um period poverty no, they call it just about girls yeah. who can't go to school yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They can't that's afford it to so they I mean, there was, you know, there was big, box, big boxes of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that plays a that plays a part in this film as well. But I think it's it's uh, yeah. I, I would recommend watching it. I, I think it's just well, so, so. Is one man don't mind talking about? You don't mind. <laughs> You've all read. I talked all of the stuff. Have I? Oh, right. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. Well, I'm, yeah. Well, so I'm, four. Is it, four. Yes. Four star. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's 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 really really good because they talk about the fact that you know they can go to school and all that as well. But I just think it's. I love seeing things that just help people get themselves out of the situation that they're in. And yeah, for, you don't so, want to be the people saying, hey, look, here, let's us help you. It's like, no, you help yourself. Oh, good Lord. And good empower Lord, no. people to do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I much, I much prefer that. And this, so this was right up my street. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to stop talking about it, and we're going to go on to, so that was Netflix doing its usual coming out swinging, and now we're going to cinemas, and Sharon, you went to see On the Basis of Sex, similarly female yes. empowering sort of topic. topic. Yes, this is basically like a film biopic of a woman. I think if you're an American, you'd probably know her more than... I didn't really know who this woman was. I sort of vaguely had heard the name, but I, if you said to me, who is she, I wouldn't have been to tell you. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's basically it's a sort of biopic of a lady called Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was educated at Harvard Law in the 1950s. And it basically it starts off with basically the, the, the brick wall that she came up against as a woman studying the law. You know, the people would ask her, you know, why are you taking a man's place? And when you go to work, why would you be taking a man's job? And it, they would just not see that she was a woman who was more than capable of actually running a career. And ironically, at the time when she was going through law, she was married with a child. So all the, 
she had a, it was like you know why aren't you at home being a mother and why yeah. are you wasting your time doing this and you know why are you being unnatural <laughs> <laughs> and this is and the sort of the unnaturalness of it is a theme that comes up throughout the film is that you know every time she comes up against um the establishment you know she's practically been treated like she's unnatural for being a woman who is highly intelligent motivated and wants to to work in the law yeah and the story progresses basically is how as she she graduates from well she she wants to graduate from harvard but her husband has got a job in new york and so she wants to transfer her degree to study at columbia and you can see you can still practically can still graduate from one university but you just transfer your your degree to another university yeah that whole american so thing that nobody over here gets no one understands it but yeah. apparently she wanted to graduate from she's had one year to do for her law at harvard law degree but she wanted to transfer to columbia to finish it and they basically said well no basically they said well a man has done it in the past he said well they've got right to you don't need your degree you're a woman you can <laughs> you just you can't basically what sort of what sort of era is it it starts off in the 1950s so it's the 50s right okay. yeah and it yeah. goes through right through to the yeah, 1970s 70s right uh, but in the end she actually goes does transfer to Columbia. She completes her law degree at Columbia, plus she also completes her Harvard law degree. So she ends up with two degrees, one from Harvard and one from Columbia. Cool. And then when she tries to get a job, she faces all these law firms who basically won't employ her. She goes to 14 law firms, none of them who employ her, even though she's got a degree from Harvard and from Columbia. So, so she ends up teaching law. So, so this is the kind of film where, because as you said, so um, people who, especially Americans, would know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is because you know it kind of, this is a story that kind of has a happy ending because she ends up on the Supreme Court. Um, yes. So, you know, so I'm guessing that this is a film that is more about showing you what she had to go through to get there. Yeah. So and it, how, the tension is not whether yeah, she's going to make it. It's more, oh my God, what did she have to go through? How did she get there? Yes. And I think there's one, there's one basic test case that she does that she's been she, she couldn't get a job in a, a, a law firm as a, working as a, a lawyer she started teaching law and she specialized in sex-based discrimination yeah and there's one case that comes to her where basically where a man has been discriminated on the basis of his gender that he's a full-time carer for his elderly mother and he's not allowed to claim tax because you, the tax rebates only apply to female carers or widowed men. It doesn't apply to a never married man. Oh, wow. And so they take this case to the courts to say, look, this is gender-based discrimination where the man is the victim. And again, they use the argument that it's unnatural for a never married man to look after his mother. It's not his <laughs> role to do that. <laughs> and so she basically is fighting the case. And you see her looking at different instances in American law where gender-based discrimination is in law and they actually the, the, the her opponents in this case actually provide her with a whole list saying look this is the precedent in law there's like 150 <laughs> laws in the american canon that discriminates on the basis of sex and so she said well i think we should take them down one by one <laughs> basically so you see you get this court battle okay um about trying to overturn this this discrimination so does it does it become a courtroom drama Yes, there does an element of that, yes. And then, yes, so that most of it is this tension of getting this case to court and then the court case itself. So that's the primary emphasis of this, is following this one particular case. But in her life, it was pivotal in the turning point in her life that led to her getting that her own place on in the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Cool. And um, oh, also with that, so this stars Felicity Jones as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And um, and Arnie Hammer as her husband. What are the what are the things like the performances? Oh, they're very convincing. I don't know what this lady actually sounds like or what she looks like, but you get the feeling that she was a little lady. Do you mm -hmm. see the? Yes. Yeah, so I think they're both obviously not knowing. They're obviously based on real people. So had I had any experience of who these people were, I think it might, it might have shaded your, your sort of assessment of it. But I thought they were both very well done, very convincing. Obviously, she's one of these, a little battler. She's had to battle for everything, and that comes across. You know, she is a fighter. Yeah. And where he's almost like a golden boy, where everything, he does work hard, <laughs> but everything seems to be so much, not easier for him, but he's like the youngest man who made partner. He gets off in the, got off the job in a really prestigious firm. Yeah. He does have an early, he has to have, he does suffer from cancer when he's studying for his law degree. Yeah. 
and you see him sort of going through that. But then she's a battler, so she actually takes goes to his classes as well as her own. Oh right, um, gotcha. But yeah, so you they're both, but they're both very charismatic, and you see how even though they're polar opposites, he's like this tall, you know, handsome man, and she's like this small sort of fighty battler. Um, but, but they, they sort of work together. They're like opposites that just make a whole. Okay. So, so yeah, I thought their their performances are very very charming. Oh, and and so, what would you? What would be your final verdict on it? How many stars would you give it? My final verdict was: I thought, even though I thought it was very well done, very well engaged, because I didn't feel that it was my history. I didn't feel actually any emotional connection to it, so I didn't feel that sense of injustice. Because I'm thinking, well, they talk all the way through the film about the Constitution, about American law, about the Supreme Court, blah blah blah, blah. and I'm thinking. This is not my history. (laughs) So I was thinking, go for it, girl. You know, I want you to do well. But I didn't feel emotionally connected to it. So I would say it to me, it was almost like a, it was an interesting film. Okay. And I was, you know, I was interested in their performances, but I wasn't moved by it. And I didn't sort of feel um, deeply motivated by it. I wasn't stirred up to outrage or stirred up to sort of sadness at any point. So I would give it a three because I thought it was an interesting film, though I didn't find it particularly to me gripping or entertaining it was interesting though and worth a sit through just to sort of see what this lady went through so, but to me i didn't feel emotionally connected to it in, in any way at all really so i'd give it a three so not even like the like how you mentioned about Moneyball last week where you have no no you don't care about baseball but you really enjoy that film it doesn't even go up to that level of i don't know anything about this but i still really enjoy it as a film not yes to me not quite i mean i felt where it was all, it was to me, it's too much about um, the American Constitution and about this sort of the American system, how it was all geared up against these women. They're like the, the little man against the big, big giant. And I just thought, to me, it didn't resonate with me okay. as my culture and as my history. So I just felt it was interesting and in, on an intellectual level. And I, but it made me think, I wonder what happened in my country or what happened in my, oh, oh, you know. Right. So that made me more interested to find out more about my own history as a sort of you know british person but i didn't find this film was for me it didn't score on entertainment level it was more an intellectual thing that i was interested in all right cool. so it Good was stuff. interesting but yeah not not um not up there with anything i wouldn't sort of give it i think more than a three personally all right cool good sean are we ready but it's a good film well made <laughs> Yeah, 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 it's going now, it's going, it seems to be going all right, seems okay. like I keep looking at it, so, uh, okay, yeah, cool. it's going fine now, it's going fine. All right, cool, no I don't problem. know what happened there, it just, it sort of went and turned off while Sharon was speaking, and, that, so, yeah. That's, that's why I always have a backup, because you can't trust, <laughs> good, good, good. can't trust technology, eh, Netflix? No. Any, <laughs> anyway, all right, uh, recording issues aside, now, Sean, we come to you, because you said that you saw a film called Chosen on netflix Shows this week and i did yeah and you yes, didn't did. sound you didn't sound that happy about this film but just go ahead and tell us why <laughs> okay well i'll tell you a little bit what the film's about it's it's i mean i was interested it was harvey Keitel because i really mm, like harvey Keitel. and basically I'm, I'm pretty sure they put some makeup on his, his son sort of turns up and he decides to tell him the story um about uh, about this sort of uh poll that is um you know, he's, he just sort of works in that. He's, he's, he's a... By Paul, you mean uh, somebody from Poland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, okay. he's like a lawyer. Yep. And, um, but, but he works, manually works, and, and obviously with the occupation and what have you and things. And um, so, yeah, he's... So is the, story, well is the story that he's telling him, is this said during the World, World War Two or something? World War Two, yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. yeah, I've been, I've been on my World War Two fix a little bit. <laughs> um, and I have to say, it was, it was one of those films, I think, to be honest, although I saw it, I wasn't really, I was like, it was okay, but it didn't grab me straight from the start. You know, sometimes it takes, sometimes I can and watch a film and it grabs me straight away and I think, yeah, this is going to be interesting. But basically, it's a story about this guy who's sort of well-respected. He's got his wife, his wife dies, and his wife's sister gets thrown on a, on a, on a camp, you know, so... Um, and then he dresses up as a... I thought it was really, really silly. You know, like I am with my films. It was really silly on the fact that he dresses up as a German officer and pretends to be a German general. And he goes and he says, oh, I want to know where, what's happened to this, this girl who's after his wife's sister, you know. I want And so he, he ends up going and pulling himself off as a general, you know, and people sort of believe him. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it's based on a true story, but 
that was I was like, oh, I can't really. See. <laughs> Do you know, you know, like sometimes you see in films where they go, like the 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 people go. Um, who dress up as Germans and they say, what's your name, rank and serial yeah, number? Yeah, and all yeah, that. Great yeah. escape. And they go, yeah, that, that yeah, great escape, that sort of stuff, you know, yeah. because I still think, I mean, for me, from a personal point of view, I used to steward at a football ground like that and even if someone, this happened to me once, like in a, and someone, some famous footballer, I won't say who it is, but I was sort of on the door like that and I said, oh, can I see your ID? Because don't you know who I am? And I said, no, I'd like to see your ID, please. And he got really, really funny and he got, it got really argy-bargy, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, so it really annoys me in films when they dress up. And you know, and no one they're, they're never questioned. They're like, "Whoa, straighten, smarten yourself up, and all that." So <laughs> it sort of switched switched me off from this. But anyway, in the end, he sort of uh, ends up in the ghetto, and he builds a, like a resistance up to fight. So they, it's, and it's just like a little bit of a resistance film. It's not really. I can't really say much more than that, except I was really, really disappointed <laughs> with Harvey Keitel, and not really a film for me. Um, I'm just gonna. Give it a, a two star, I suppose, just for the for the novelty factor. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's all I can, that's all I can really say about this. I wouldn't, you know, but there you go. That's that's, that's what they are, so. the, you see. That's the I can I can just hear it in your voice. I can just hear the disappointment. You're like, I'm even tired of talking about this. I do not want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's I don't want to give I don't want to give this film any more exposure so, than it already has. Any, that's it. I don't know <laughs> if there's any famous. There's no, no real famous actors in it apart from Harvey Keitel, I think. Oh, but Harvey, so, so Harvey Keitel know. is he based in sort of like present day talk, telling the story about? Yeah, World he's War present. II. Yeah, he's telling the story to like his grandson. Yeah, he's got like. Ah, heavy, gotcha. No, I don't know if he's got like the heavy makeup on or what. So. Um, but, why why um, does it, does he not look like himself or something? Yeah, no, he's no, just, he totally looks like he's himself. Just aged up. He's just he? aged up. I, I think he is aged up. I mean, he's getting on a bit. Yeah. Not Winston Wolf there. But I think they've aged him a little bit more. And for me, the aging process is a bit too, looks a bit too make-up-y. That's mm. what I thought. My, my, yeah. my impressions were, look, oh, he's, he's made up. Well, you know, so straight from, the, straight from the start, really, you know, it was like, it had its, I had my issues with it. Although yeah. I think it's probably, probably the, you know, some other people might enjoy it. But yeah. for me, from a personal point of view. Wasn't quite your cup of tea. Wasn't quite my cup of tea. But think, think about so, it, Sean. You so. either see Harvey Keitel in that or you see him in a direct line advert. So it's up to you. You choose. You choose what you get. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. We'll get a race. Yeah, Winston Wolf. Oh, great guy. Okay. I, I like him. I like. I, I mean, I, I've got a lot of respect for Harvey Keitel and his movies, but this oh, one, the piano. So, he would yeah. thought he would be a romantic lead, but in the piano, he, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, anyway, right. okay. Yeah. So the let's next, move, let's move on. Let's move the on. The next big thing you're probably going to see Harvey Keitel in is actually a Netflix film. The Irishman with Martin Scorsese, which is which is oh, okay, yeah, because I think well, I think I think it'll be interesting if Steven Spielberg actually gets Netflix kicked out of the Academy Awards. That's going to be hard because this Martin Scorsese movie is being spoken about for Academy Awards next year, and so yeah, it's going to be funny. It's, yeah, I, I think they should. I think I think maybe they should have their own. They should have like uh, uh, an awards award ceremony for streaming services, hmm. you know, in the same sort of way. So you could have your Amazon Prime, you could have your, your Netflix, you could have your Now TV, whatever, and and they could yeah. get awards for that. So you know, or HBO, or whatever the different productions are. Yeah. So so Stars, surely a better want, platform would be a, a separate awards. Is it program, Hulu you know? as well? Hulu and Stars. Yeah, and Stars, and all, you know all the different streaming ones, and then hmm. maybe that would be like some of the other companies would start pushing some stuff, and they say, yeah, okay. The Netflix Film Award goes to Martin Scorsese for whatever film, The Irishman, Irishman or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, mm. And do you know what I mean? They could do it that way or say... And, no, but, but, I mean, but then the problem is that, that that would be saying that a Martin Scorsese movie that was made and put on Netflix is lesser, in inverted commas, than a Steven Spielberg that, movie. So I don't see how that... I, don't, I, I can't see that how that would be because it would be saying it's still a great movie... But you just watch it on streaming service rather than yeah. at, the, at the pictures. But it still wins an award. It wins a streamy award or a, <laughs> or a White Walker award or whatever, you know. So, oh, okay. And, and it, okay, so for, for instance... So yeah, so... Sorry, sorry, Toes, go on. Yeah, no, I was going to say, okay, so for instance, if we had The Ballad of Buster Scruggs versus, let's say, Ready Player One, um, I, you, you, so you would say those two films should be in two different award ceremonies? Yeah, I reckon. 
Yeah, I do. Oh, all right. Interesting. I do. Well, I think with the Golden Globes, they do uh, like more of a pan award thing, can't yeah, they? What, what, they cover yeah, all streamers yeah. and media and yeah. film and television, because, don't they? Well, the Golden Globes are say, I mean, um, I mean, the Oscars is <laughs> yeah. the Academy of Motion Pictures. Yes. Know, the Academy of Motion Pictures. So... You know, I, I suppose you could say that Netflix streaming stuff is motion pictures. Yeah, but those are, those are motion pictures. This week it will go around it, yeah. I think, I think there should be different platforms, so I have to agree with Spielberg. It is swings and roundabouts, I think, sometimes with yeah. this, isn't it? What you gain on the swings, you lose on the roundabouts. So, so, but that's me, that's me. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Okay, cool. We're, we're going to move on because I have a feeling we're going to be coming back to this at some point. Anyway, so, Sharon, <laughs> we go into the film that you saw in the cinemas this week, The Aftermath. Yes, the aftermath. Oh, I'm interested about this. So one. following on, yeah, the aftermath is a, as it is a dual meaning in this. Basically, it's the aftermath is this is post-war Germany. You start the film in October of 1945. So basically the, the war has only been over for five months. And you see the, the character played by Kira Knightley goes to rejoin her husband, who's a colonel, part of the reconstruction process. And they're based in Hamburg. Now, Hamburg in 1943 was one of those cities that um, was bombed so severely that it caused a firestorm and, you know, literally thousands of inhabitants of that town were killed. And so they're facing a fierce opposition as part of this reconstruction, resentment that the, you know, that they've lost the war. Yep. And then into this, this woman moves in and they, the house of this big house has been requisitioned for this colonel and his wife to live in. And what normally happens is when a house is requisitioned, the occupants are then moved into a, a camp until they can sort of find themselves a new home. But they decide in the spirit of reconciliation that they're going to let the former owners of the house, the former tenants of the house, to stay um, in the attics, basically, and they create their own like flat in the attics. Yeah. And the... The former occupant is played by Alexander Skarsgård. Ooh. I wonder what's going to happen there. He's a boy, isn't he? (laughs) Yes. And so you have the... the, And the aftermath refers as well, as well as the aftermath of the war, it refers to as well as a tragedy that hit the family, the colonel and his wife, in that their son was killed during the bombing raids on London um, in in 1942. And it also refers to the aftermath in that Alexander Skarsgård's wife was killed in the bombing raids on Hamburg in 1943. So they're both dealing with the after the, the aftermath of war, you know, at a personal cost, as well as the cost to their country, the fact that they've lost their identity, that Hitler had become so all-consuming yeah. that, you know, every home in Germany had a portrait of the Führer in their house. And you see, wherever, anywhere they go in, they, they look, you see this shot that pans across the wall and there's like a space where a painting once hung and you get the feeling that that painting was there for years because there's like a shadow around this yeah. hole on the wall. And it's where they've all had to take down the picture of the Fuhrer. So it's like the war is, is this shadow over the whole film. All right. So and then it, you follow these two streams as well. You see the dealing with the reconstruction and how there's like a this 8-8 organization, which is, you know, Nazis who don't want to admit defeat. And you see a storyline involving them and how they're determined to carry on the war even though the fear is dead. And then you also got this other strand of this unhappy marriage where she seeks solace with someone else. And seeing as she's living in the same house as Alexander Sars Karsgård, I wonder what's going to happen. Yes. I mean, who mm, could she possibly find solace with? <laughs> yes, yeah, someone who's you know, sensitive and architect. So if he's an artist, he's... Yeah, there's a piano in the house, and they both love music. What's what's not to love, basically? Well, can I ask a couple, yeah, is, is there ask much, a question. Can I ask some questions? Right, okay. It seems really, really romantic. Is there much about the reconstruction? Because when I first saw the trailer for this, I was interested because that period of reconstruction. Yeah. But when I saw the two, as you know, it I'm, I'm not a big Knightley fan, and I'm not a, that other guy. I'm not. It does deal with both. Yeah, there is there are, so there are there are, are storylines involving. This sort of like, I've always gone like Hitler Youth, but he's a Hitler Youth who doesn't want to let go of the past. And so you see this 8-8 organization. I don't think they're called 88 or whatever, but they're, there's 8-8 is the eighth letter of the alphabet, which is H, and then H-H is Heil Hitler. So they, they have it burned on their, their arms. And so you do see this sort of, the, the 88 people fighting and you see how they're clearing rubble and they come across bodies and how there's some of the British soldiers are like, you know, when they're interviewing people, they're showing them pictures of the death camps and they're saying, did you know about these death camps? And a lot of the civilians were saying, no, in Hamburg, we didn't see this. 
Um, so you get that the tension between the people who are sympathetic, they want to reconstruct Germany, and the people who say, no, these people need to be punished for putting us through six years of war. We didn't ask for this war, and we won, so, you know, suck it up, chum. <laughs> so you've got that tension between the sort of bullish victors and those who want to actually reconstruct. Okay. Oh, but, so, so you've got that, and you've also got this romantic storyline as well. So you have got these two, these parallel stories going next to each other. Okay, because uh, I mean, it sounds Obviously like. Obviously, I was more interested in the romantic one. Yeah, it sounds intriguing, but it does sound as if the romantic one is pushed more to the fore. Like all the advertising and everything like that seems to be pushing this sort of love triangle type film. Yes, I think that's certainly the feeling I got when I went to see it was I thought this was going to be more about the romance than the reconstruction. Yeah. And I think to some degree, the fact that it was split between the two, I think both slightly suffered in it. Ah, I think gotcha. if it was all about the relationship, then right. the, you'd be more invested in the relationship. And if it was more about the reconstruction, then it would be... Um, so in some ways, it's almost like they wanted to put two films in one right. yeah. and they wanted like to beef up. By trying to beef up the... The, the reconstruction storyline they added the romance and then but i think they both slightly suffered from it i think if it was a romantic film you would be you'd be fully invested in what's going on in this relationship and if it was about reconstruction with the family in the background you'd be more invested in you know the lives of the people who are having to live in this rubble and that has been surrounded by rubble for four years for some of them from the bombing raids of the early war yeah so i think both aspects of the story did suffer from it slightly by the fact that you're torn between these two stories that are parallel but they don't exactly meet all together comfortably so how many stars would you give it well i enjoyed certain aspects of the film very much i thought Kira knightley even i'm not a fan it did very well i thought alexander skarsgård was you know alexander skarsgård <laughs> um, but i did find jason clark as like the, the the third bar in this triangle i think he needs to be stronger uh -huh. I thought he needed to be more charismatic. I mean, if you're going to have someone who's in competition with Alexander Skarsgård, <laughs> they've got to have something going for them, haven't they? You know, they've got to be real competition. And to me, I didn't feel that he offered enough competition. The things with, with Jason Clark, it's Jason Clark, isn't it? I'm yes. just looking. Yeah. Do you know what? He is pants as an actor. I don't care what anyone says. I have not seen him anything good, and he's put me off everything he's been in. Absolutely everything he's been in. He plays a good solid lead in this, Does but he? I think he's just not charismatic. I just, I just if you're rooting well, sure, for, okay, sure, it's, sure, you liked Everest though. You go. Yeah, Everest was all right, but I didn't like him in it too much. <laughs> I just don't like the guy. I just don't think. To me, I, I, I think it was when they stuck him in as John Connor. I think probably yeah, that, that, Terminator that, Genesis, yeah. and that after that it was like because he was pants in that. And well, I, nobody came out of uh, that looking good. Yeah. No, that's true. But I just thought him in, in particular. I must. Admit, I thought in this film, if I put someone else in this role, someone who is like a man in their forties, and I was thinking, who would? If you put Tom Hardy in this role, for example, playing him against type, you would definitely have that tension between, you know, will she? Who will she choose? And you'd feel that there's a strong appeal for both men. And I didn't. To me, when whenever she was with him, I thought, I don't get it. I don't get what you see in this man. And so to me, her having an affair was completely understandable. <laughs> but you want it to be, but you know, you think there's a history with them. They've had a child together. They've got a life together. They should be a bit more of a pull for him. He should be balanced. So for me, that was a bit of a drawback. So I would have to say, to be harsh with it, I would probably give it a three. I'd wanted to give it a three and a half, but I'm thinking, no, I think it's it's a three because there's enough of things about it that you're thinking you weren't strong enough to be, to me to be a viable um, okay. contender. All right. Because it's like, choose Alex. Okay. 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 We're going to stop this Jason Clark character assassination and move on. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, your aftermath. Yeah, so it's three for the aftermath. Three for the aftermath. All right, cool. Poor Jason Clark. It's not his fault. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to Isn't It Romantic? And this is a Netflix movie starring Rebel Wilson. And this is one of those films that, um, a bit like, I know we spoke about I Feel oh, um, I feel Pretty, which was an Amy Schumer film where a woman yes. sort of like hits, uh, she has an accident and then spends the rest of the film thinking that she's like this supermodel and all that kind of stuff. But this film is different because it starts off in Australia with um, Rebel Wilson and a girl who looks like, as you imagine, Rebel Wilson would have looked as if she was a girl. So she's a bit heavy and all that. Her mum is played by Jennifer Saunders. 
and who pretty much does like okay. a, a one scene cameo and she's watching pretty woman on the tv and she's watching and she's like oh my god this is so amazing and her mom walks in and is like you do realize that that never happens for girls like us right she's like what, what are you talking about <laughs> and her mom essentially tells her romantic comedies are a whole bunch of rubbish we don't end up with that kind of woman we know we don't end up with a guy nobody comes to rescue us you you essentially romantic comedies are rubbish and she grows up in life thinking this is all rubbish not really into romance or anything like that she ends up so we jump 25 years into the future and she is now an, an architect in new york she has and she they, there's this whole thing that she goes into at the beginning where one of her co-workers absolutely loves romantic comedies and is watching the wedding singer while at work <laughs> and she sort of goes into this scene where they just keep cutting and for the whole day she just berates her and tells her and dissects the romantic comedy and tells you exactly what is so wrong with romantic comedy why it's a whole bunch of rubbish so she goes through the whole thing says this is why it's a whole bunch of rubbish and then she has an accident hits her head and she wakes up and she's still in new york but everything looks nicer and she's and she finds herself pretty much in a romantic comedy so the new york that she goes she's like what's up why does everything smell like lavender why does new york not smell anymore <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, she's in a hallmark film basically isn't she pretty much, pretty much she's in a hallmark film so she she wakes up in the hospital and they she goes where am i they're like you're in the emergency room she's like no this is not the emergency room why is this room so big where's the where's the like you know the druggie in the corner where's the person who just got shot who's, who's getting wheeled through it's like and she says this is the uh, then after a while she realizes oh my god i'm in a and she, she tries to swear, and then you hear like, I'm in a bah, 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 romantic comedy, and she realizes that. She's like, I want, I'm in a PG-13 romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's quite funny because it goes, it does a lot of, it does some stuff where it just makes fun of, the, of how silly romantic comedies are, and the fact that they always filmed in New York, but there's a whole bunch of things that don't happen. She meets Liam Hemsworth, who in her real life is this client who she's supposed to be pitching something to as an architect. But in the romantic comedy world, he nearly runs over with his car, comes on and immediately falls in love with her. And she's like, what, what, what's going on? This is not right. And he's like, no, don't worry. You are beguiling. You are my woman. Then he, he does things like, uh, I'll give you my number. And he takes a rose and writes one number in each petal, then takes the petals and gives them to her. And she's like, they're not even in order. How am I going to know what your number is? And he's like, don't worry, fate will find us. And... So there's bits of it that remind me a little bit of Enchanted, like the way Enchanted makes fun of the whole Disney princess thing. Yeah. But I think Enchanted... It sounds like every Christmas Hallmark film I've ever seen, to be honest with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so it's like you have... It's the whole idea is putting a cynical person within, in one of those films and she's trying yeah. to figure out, how do I get out of this? How do I get back to my real life? Because this is rubbish. This isn't true. Especially because she doesn't like romance. She hates romantic comedies and all that. Uh, and... There's bits at the beginning where they do a lot of stuff where it's quite clever, the way they skewer the romantic comedy and they talk about what is so crazy about them and why on earth are these things so big and all. But the problem is the film ends up becoming a romantic comedy on its own. So it, it's almost kind of as if it goes, it, it says, all right, cool, you don't like romantic comedies, this is everything that's wrong with them. But for the character, the only way for Rebel Wilson to get out of this romantic comedy is to commit to it. Okay. Yeah, it's to commit to it. It's like playing a game. You've got to get that she's and so you've got to commit to it. And she's like, oh, there's probably going to be a wedding that I'm going to have to break up and all that. <laughs> and so there's there's I would. Oh, give, it sounds really fun. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. Like it, and some of my favorite things are like the little sort of Easter egg things in the background. So obviously they're in New York, and even the road signs are. The, the roadsides, I think, are hilarious because they, they don't focus on them. They don't give them a close-up. But the things that they say on them is just crazy. Like, there's a bit, she runs into a subway, runs past a, a poster. And on the poster, you know how they say, like, you know, see it, say it, sort it, or something like that? Yeah. This poster says, see someone, say something. You could be his wife one day. <laughs> so it's like, so, so I think it, it's... I think it's quite. I think it's quite funny in bits. There are some bits that made me laugh out loud, but I feel like in the end it tries to have its cake and eat it, and it kind of devolves into a romantic ah, okay. comedy anyway. 
And so it, it's trying to go, oh, look at us. Yeah, we're so, we're, we're, only, we're only doing this ironically. But I think, yeah, you just, I just kind couldn't of, resist the pull yeah, of the happy ending. Yeah, exactly. You've kind of become a romantic comedy. And even though they're trying to say this yeah. is the real world, this is the romantic comedy world, I still think that their, their real New York is still a very Hollywood New York. So it's, <laughs> it's, so it, it's, it's one of those things. But Liam Hemsworth does this. He is quite funny in it. He is quite funny in it. I would give it a three out of five. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. I will check that one out. I'm sure. Yeah, I think I think you 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 should check it out. It's obviously it's on Netflix. Um, Sean, I think it's probably just going to be like not not even acknowledging that it exists. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 the, it's funny. Amy Shermer, Trainwreck. I went to see that. That was yeah. one of the ones I went to cinema to see that. Yeah. Actually, funny enough, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that was that was quite good. So um, I haven't seen the the what was the one the, the Amy Shermer one? You just said I feel pretty. pretty. I feel pretty. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it may, it's probably one that's not going to be on my radar too much. I won't like definitely. But if you stumble across it, if I stumble across it, one you won't day kick it out. You'll no, 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 step no, no. kick it out. Maybe we'll watch it together, shall yeah. we? <laughs> Romantic comedies. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. See what happens. Yeah. We'll see. All right, cool. So the next thing up is Happy Death Day to you, which you've already spoken about, Sean, and you gave it a rather nice, resounding one. One, yeah, I have to say, yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a major, major disappointment. So, I mean, it just sort of, it's like a time travel one. So it carries on, but there's like, it's these these geeks and they've created a machine that that sort of puts in a different different dimension. But it's in a different dimension where her mum's actually alive. The the main Mm, main character, you know, where where her mum's still alive. So does she stay there, or does she have to go back, or is she going to suffer loads of deaths? Because each time there's more and more deaths. You know, it's going to eventually but, it's but, going to end up. But generally speaking, at the end of the day, Sean's just left not caring. Oh, I'm not caring. Yeah. Don't I don't care, care one way or the other. <laughs> just mate. die. So, yeah, just die. I mean, I mean, I think that I know I shouldn't say this really, but like the the sort of killer thing that wears this funny little mask actually looks like someone I know and oh. or someone me and a friend. Well, no, it doesn't. It's just a similar look. And yeah. I mentioned that. I said, oh, that looks like so-and-so, doesn't it? Like that. And it was just great guffaws of laughs. And he goes, oh my God. <laughs> so it does. So yeah, so that was quite funny. So yeah, but I mean, apart from the, the fun factor, I mean, for a fun film to heckle, you, you nailed it, Tozen, when you said, you know, it's a it's 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 okay to heckle, but no, I wouldn't even bother. Would you, it's not something you'd ever watch anyway, is it? You wouldn't what? ever bother with it, would you? I don't really. Well, I heard good things about the first one. I heard, I heard that yeah. it, because I don't like horror movies, but I heard good things about the first. They said that it was actually kind of clever, and I. Yeah, it was a clever. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of a twist there. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I. I think I'd, they're just trying to make money, aren't they? And so if something far, makes money, they do another one. Yeah, and so far I'd heard, I'd heard good things about the second one until you spoke. So maybe now I probably won't bother. Oh, but, oh, you know, <laughs> but but let's okay, I'm, I'm, I've always come a bit left field, don't I? I'm always yeah. sort of, you know. And you demand a lot from your horror films, I do, don't you? I do, I really do. I need to see something that, that I haven't seen for. I haven't seen a decent horror film for. Well, I can't remember when. So, but anyway. Okay, I'll tell you what. Fine. Anyway, okay, moving on. There's a Stephen King adaptation on Netflix called Gerald's Game. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would actually be interested to see if you watch that and tell me what you think about that. I think it's more it's more okay, thriller it's I'll more th- it's more thriller than horror but I th- I think that for a very simple premise they do really well with that. But now let's go to something that I think okay. you enjoyed a little bit better. Generation War. Yep. Oh yeah, Generation War. Now, this was um this was a three-part mini series. I mean, it it was a few years old now. I think it was 2013 when it was made. I remember I used to catch the odd clips of this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Now, you know like YouTube's they have these little bits because yeah. obviously I'm really interested in the war stuff. So I thought, oh, I'd watch, I'd watch it as a three-parter. And you know our rules. We must see the whole... The yeah, whole if, if you're watching a TV series, you must have seen the whole series, series yeah. before you come on here and talk about it. So, yeah. And basically, this story is about... It's like five friends. Um, and there's... So there's like a girl who wants to be a singer. That's all she's got her mindset mm-hmm. on. She wants to be a singer. But she's got this little bit of a relationship going with, with a Jewish fellow who's one of their friends. And there's this idealistic, like what you'd say, whatever the ladies equivalent of the Hitler Youth was, you know what I mean? She's got the, the pigtails and that very much, oh yeah, German, German. Oh German. yeah, the, the, Ma- the, the, oh. the Machtenfried or whatever they were called. Yes, yeah, the know. German maidens, so, yeah, wasn't yeah, they? Yeah, very, you know, very that way with the... With the, the Deutsche Marxens or yeah, something? Deutsche, something like that. Yeah. And then you've got these two brothers, one who's really, again, idealistic and everything else, and the other one who's a bit bit sceptical, but they obviously they've got to go off to war. Yeah. 
and you know the mother's upset and all that. So anyway, before before this, they all go their separate ways. They um they they meet up and they have this photograph taken. Well, and then so the lads, the two brothers, go off to war. They get they they they're like a infantry unit or, or yeah. Um, and the, the the idealistic girl with the pigtails becomes a nurse at the front, and the the other girl she wants to become a singer, so she has a bit of a thing with because they're not really you know they're not supposed to have relationships with with Jewish people. No. So um, so basically they they all go this different way, and it's, and it's all these different stories with um, uh, they all end up the the the. The singer, the one who wants to be the singer, she has an affair with like a Gestapo officer, so she can hopefully save her Jewish friend. So, okay. And they have to cut the the picture out of one of the photographs that oh, they've had. This is a German so, film. Yeah, German film. Yeah. Oh, wow, cool. So, so um, yeah, and anyway, so and things happen. You know, I'm really interested more. So you go for all these different periods, and there's like three episodes. Which um, yeah, an hour and a half long. So they're they're, pro- they're proper like proper films. Pro- proper yeah. films. Yeah. There's, so each one and. And it's funny how the characters change. So obviously, the the oh the the nurse the nurse decides she she's in love with the one of the brothers. You know, the older brother, the okay. idealistic brother. But as the as the films go on, as as the different episodes go on, it's like a bit of a role reversal. So the mm-hmm. the, the 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 one who was sceptical just becomes like a bit, bit should we say dangerous even? You know, mm-hmm. and he just decides oh he sort of resigns to his fate and that. The the other brother who was sort of yeah Nazi that he becomes a bit sceptical and the nurse obviously she's working she's seeing all these wounded people and the people screaming and all stuff so obviously there's and there's lots of other uh, plots going on and and it goes through different periods of the war and I've got to be honest I I did really really enjoy this oh yeah I mean, yeah 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 I thought it was um I thought it was quite good the from, from the stuff I know of the war and everything like that, it was it was quite good of seeing the different periods and how mm-hmm. they start off all idealistic. Yeah, let's go, you know. And all the time it comes up with these places, 500 miles from Moscow, 300 miles from Moscow, and then gradually through the other ones, it's 300 miles from Berlin. Okay, know, and they're know. in so, retreat, yeah. So, yeah, when they're in retreat. So it goes through the whole war, and I won't tell you what happens to... to but obviously some they think are dead, you know, so certain things happen and it's 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 really it's very well done yeah uh, to me i think this is a really good series and it's worth a watch you know mm, i mean i watched watch. pretty much so one after the other excuse <coughs> me yeah so so yeah i would i would who's rating this is quite high yeah it comes quite high on my on my rating scale. it's always interesting to turn it around though isn't it because we were quite familiar with our war stories it's yeah. nice to see a german war story i think i mean yeah it's it is you know and i think those films from a german point of view i don't know if it's i mean some people are saying that it's trying to be a bit apologetic revisionist yeah a bit revision a bit you know sort of apologize for saying like yeah you know not all not all germans are, are horrible nazi types you know so yeah. No. So yeah, a- apologetic almost, you know. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't think it was, but I know that I could some understand people, why yeah. some people would think that. You know, it's like... there's some really I've seen some really good German films yeah, actually yeah, yeah. about the war, and I think they deal with it in a completely different way. And they I think do. Um, I there's some interesting ones out there. Downfall. 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 Downfall is no. a great film. Downfall is a downfall. Is probably great one. Film. I saw one from a woman's perspective. It's called Anonyma. Oh, wow. um, Ein Frau in Berlin yeah. and I've read the book actually in translation of course but this is a German film and it's basically about what happened to the women in Berlin when the Russians invaded yeah. and how they were just utterly brutalised some of them and how it was it was a secret that they couldn't talk about because of the way they were treated yeah. and this one woman wrote this book Anonyma about recounting her ordeal at the hands of these Russian soldiers and the people accused her of lying and making it all up and she only actually revealed her identity. I think as late as like 2000 or something. It would, but she just she could not admit the fact that she'd been brutalised by German, uh, Russian soldiers. So I'd say Anonyma. Try, try to find that film. That's an extraordinary film about um, the, a, Russian, a German woman's experience of war. Right, okay. All right. There was, uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Oh, just thinking back, yeah, there, there, was, there was a couple of bits in it. There was one particular bit in the last, last one. Which, which the I, last episode. Oh well, yeah, yeah, last episode, yeah. which I was like, you know, the when the rushes come in, so I wasn't sure if that would have happened. But hey, anyway, but on the whole, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I would give, as I say, on the whole series, I would give it a four. Cool. So I'd probably say the first first episode a four, second episode a four, probably third episode, possibly a three. But on the whole, oh, it four. gets a four. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, yeah. So Good I, stuff. I enjoyed it. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, cool. And now we finish off with The Kid Who Would Be King. 
Um, I went to see this. Yes, yeah, see, this one intrigues me. Yes. Tell, me, tell us more, please. Okay, all right. So this is Joel Cornish, whose last film was Attack the Block, which was yeah. aliens coming to a South London estate. And so he did sci-fi in a South London estate. And now he's trying to do the, the similar trick, but with fantasy. So it's the whole idea of, imagine you take the whole legend of King Arthur and transplant it to, well, South London. And it's... This film, I, I, I love the way this film starts because this film starts off with an animated sequence and the animated sequence pretty much kind of like, it's it it's one of those things that just puts you in the mood and goes, okay, yes, now, okay, cool, now you've got me, tell me more. So it talks about the whole Arthur thing and how Arthur came up and how he, how Uther Pendrango was there and Arthur took the sun for the stone and then Morgana Le Fay and all that sort of stuff. Then and and I I love the opening and then it ends with a line from Organa Le Fay as she's being vanquished saying don't worry one day when the nation is leaderless and nobody knows what's going on and there's fighting between all different factions I will rise again and I'm like oh ah <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, the once and future king <laughs> exactly exactly so they use this all once and future king so I think that they're doing a they're doing a bit of a clever thing with like looking at the times that we're in and saying wow this thing happened all over again and so there's definite definite Brexit overtones <laughs> Brexit overtones as to what happens that means that why would this happen all over again why would Morgana Le Fay happen all over again and they're like oh because the nation the nation is rudderless and leaderless once more <laughs> and and so it goes it goes into the into the modern day and you find out that this story that you've heard that, that, you've, that you've seen has been animated is, a, is actually a storybook that this kid, Alex Elliott, has been reading. And he's been reading, his mum has given it to him, saying it was the last thing he got from his dad. It has an inscription in the front that says, to Alex, my once and future king in it and all that. And he Oh. Get, yes. So he goes to school and there's some bullies. There's, there's some bullies. His best friend is a, is a kid of South Asian origin called, um, who, who everybody just calls Bedders. So that's his best friend, Bedders, who is like really, really loyal to him. There's these two bullies who bully him and his friend called Lance and Kay. And <laughs> so I think for anybody who knows the, the literature like you do, Sharon, uh, I know that yes. you're probably already going, oh, yeah, I see it. I see it. I, I see know it. who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And so one day when he's being chased, he ends up on a, on a building site and he finds this sword just stuck in one of, in one of the sort of concrete blocks on this building site. And he pulls it out. He pulls it out, doesn't know what's going on. Though. Then all of a sudden, you have in his garden, there's this big sort of like almost sort of flaming skeleton that comes out of the ground and comes into <laughs> his room to try to fight him. And then this really weird kid shows up at the school who is actually Merlin in disguise. <laughs> and so there's all these things that go on. And I, I quite like the sort of marrying of the fantasy world with the sort of realistic london world that people have nowadays where they live in terrace houses and all that and is this even going into you have a 12 year old kid who's walking around the streets of london with a sword and especially in the current climate hang on a second how can you get away with that and it, it, it's just like a marrying of different worlds that i really really enjoy and i really like the way they put it together they end up going on a quest which takes them out of london and i think once they leave london the film loses its way a bit it loses steam okay and it kind of you're like oh where is this going what are you doing it's not as it doesn't it's not as tight and as focused like you know let, let's say something like attack the block people sort of say that that's almost kind of like joel cornish trying to do a homage to um assault on precinct 13 for instance because yeah. that's that's great what, film yeah that's all tight it's only one area the tension ratchets up and all that with this, they go off places and they do things and they go off to Cornwall and you're like, oh, what? And I think once, once they leave London, it gives you a lot of time to start questioning exactly what's going on and questioning the story mm -hmm. and going, hang on, wait, wait who would, who, wouldn't their parents care about this? What's, what's going on? Uh, so those bits, I don't think, I think let the film down a bit and it keeps... Whenever they have like a, a bit of momentum going up and something cool is happening, they sort of stop the film almost to do a whole bunch of exposition where someone sits around and goes, well, you do realize that your father left. Oh, well, your father wasn't that bad. Oh, this is what happened. Well, this is what happened. All the way. And you're like, why are you giving me this? Give me, give me the goonies. Give me the bit where you have all these kids fighting, especially at, and they have the final big sort of showdown moment where the castle that they are defending that, that's under siege is their school. 
And so you have all these okay. kids. You have all these kids running around in armor, fighting all these demon hellhounds or whatever it is that they are. And it, it gets a, <laughs> it gets a bit brutal. I mean, the final, the final, how you say denouement. Yeah, it is a bit is a bit brutal. I was like, ooh, ooh, eesh. I mean, the way they get rid of the bad guy, you're like, whoa, whoa, that. Hang on, what is the rating of this film? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it's really good. I would give it a three. I think it could have been a four if they didn't have so many talky sin scenes. If they didn't just have places where it just seemed as if they stopped the story to stand around and talk a bit more about stuff. And you're like, well, that's not okay. Really, we want to see the action. Oh, well, it's still. It still sounds promising to me, though. I think I might check that one out because oh. it just sounds intriguing to me. Yeah, I would. I would still recommend it. I'll still recommend it. I think it's yeah. not as it's not as great as I was hoping it was going to be, but it's still it's still pretty good. And the there is some bad child acting in it. I, oh, okay. I, I think the best <laughs> is is a guy called Angus Emery who plays who plays the young version of Merlin. Patrick Stewart plays the old version of Marilyn, but Angus Imry is brilliant in it. He's just so eccentric and so, like you, you know when you when you see somebody and you see a kid acting, and go, oh my god, that's a kid trying to act. Yeah. But you just is he related to Celia Imry in any way? I haven't found that out, but he does have similar hair. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, I haven't I haven't found that out yet. But but he is he is by far the standout. The guy who plays Alex as well is quite good. He's actually Andy Serkis's son. Okay. So, son of Gollum. So, yeah, I think he had a good acting teacher at home. Um, <laughs> but, but there is some terrible kid acting in it from people who I oh. thought would be better as well. But it's um, they're just basically like, okay, cool, get it, get it over with, get it over with, and let's have some more fighting. But yeah, that's what I would say with that. We just uh, looked up Angus Imry. We didn't see who his parents were, but he was born on the island, so it's very possible that was he, he connected to Celia Imry because she lives on the island. Yeah, Angus Imry was born second of August '94 on the Isle of Wight, Hampshire. Was he? The Isle of Wight, we'll just yeah, leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In England as Angus J. Full boy, I don't that many give anymore. Uh, might give him because if he's. Son oh, of yeah. actor Celia Emery and Benjamin Whitlow. Whitwell. He Whitwell. is, so he is, he is Celia. <laughs> he is Mr. Bennett. Ah, Mr. Bennett. In, in Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah, Colin yeah. What, in the Colin Firth? I like that. Yeah. That was my favourite. He was Mr. Bennett. He's a very good Mr. Bennett. Uh, so, oh, well, so we have an anyway. Isle of Wight. We have an Isle of Wight link. Yeah, they should definitely show that yeah. film on the he island. Yeah, he was born then. on the island. Yeah. So, with that, I think um, all that is left to say is to look at who has won this week. And oh, do, do, do. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who's come up this week? And, you know, it was really close. It was really, really close between Netflix and cinema until Happy Death Day to You showed up and... <laughs> and <laughs> Killed it. Killed it. And, and it, it, just, it just let the whole side down. Uh, no. So well, it, it comes well, as well, no surprise well, to say that the winner this week is Netflix. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, Tozin, okay. Tozin, could you not go... What I mean, what about... You saw Alita Battle Angel and... And I think Sharon saw Fighting with the Family, which you saw. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. What, what would just just quickly just give us a what would you, what's your rating for Elite Battle Angel? I really like. What would Elite, you give that? I really liked Elite Battle Angel. I think I'd give it a three and a half. Three and a half, Sharon. Yeah. How much for Fighting with Fighting the Family? I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a great little film. I've really got behind it and enjoyed it. Funny. Yeah. Four. Four. There you go. So cinema this time then. No. I'm, I'm going to go and see Fighting with My Family because Tozin recommended it. You've recommended I it. I enjoyed that and one. And so I've got to see Fighting with My Family. That was now, my film of the week. You know next yeah. time. Oh, cool. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So, okay. So yeah, all that's left to say is um, goodbye from me. And goodbye for me. And bye bye from me. <laughs> see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>